0: This podcast is sponsored by Curology. Sometimes it would almost hurt to look in a mirror. Do you struggle with skincare issues that keep you feeling self-conscious and less than who you want to be? I thought I'd have to live with this all my life, but then I found Curology. With Curology, a personalized prescription formula is selected specifically for your skin by a licensed dermatology provider. I could do it all online. And the products are sent right to my door. Whatever your issues, acne, dark spots, clogged pores, fine lines, rosacea, and much more, Curology's science-based personalized prescription skincare can help treat it. Curology didn't just clear up my skin. It changed my life. Now get up to six skincare products free, up to a $52 value with free shipping, and a no-cost consultation with a licensed dermatology provider. When you go to Curology.com, go to C-U-R-O-L-O-G-Y.com for this free offer. That's Curology.com. Prescription products are excluded from free product offer. Applies only to your first box. Subject to consultation. New subscribers only. See Curology.com for full details
2: in that case, I pronounce
1: you lucky.
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Prog Watch. Tonight, you join us in the far meadow where the atmosphere is very peaceful and tranquil. Various fish are swimming lazily. in the distance, formal horses are quietly grazing. Suddenly, the peace is shattered by the arrival of a stampeding herd of Gabriels and what seems to be a rather oversized tiger moth.
2: Hello, you fellows. It's Pete Jones from Tiger Moth Tales here. You're listening to Prog Watch with Anthony Rosick. the chumba life is for everybody so go to chumbacasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some
0: serious prizes
2: Ch-ch-chumba.
0: chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary void we're prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details
1: welcome back to Prague watch my friends and thanks for joining me once again i am big tony your host and this week i have another great program lined up for you if you recall, a few weeks back, I played a track from the new 3.2 album, which features Robert Barry and musical contributions from the late Keith Emerson. Robert and Keith worked together with Carl Palmer in a band called 3 in the late 1980s. Well, in the intervening weeks since I played that new 3.2 track, I was actually able to interview Robert for this program, and he spoke at length about all things 3 and 3.2. How the original 3 came about how the release of a live album from the band's heyday in the late 1980s led to Robert and Keith resurrecting the idea of the band, and the whole ordeal that Robert faced in finishing the album after Keith Emerson's untimely death in early 2016. So I've got a lot of great interview material to share with you and a lot of great music as well. Let's start things off with a couple of tracks from the original three album called To The Power Of Three, which was released in 1988. First, we will hear the song Talkin' Bout, and then we'll go straight into Desde la Vida. and that was talking about in Desde la Vida both from the first 3 album released in 1988 now let's hear a bit of my interview with Robert Barry of the original 3 lineup and the new 3.2 project so before we get into the 3.2 can you tell us a little a bit about how the original 3 lineup came together how did you fall in with those guys
4: well you're talking to me right now in my studio in Campbell California Soundtech Studios where I work 5 days a week with sometimes famous people, most of the time with people you never heard of, I was sitting here at this desk, and the phone rang, and it was an English guy with a very high voice saying, this is Carl Palmer, and uh, is Robert Berry there? And I'm thinking, oh, this is my friend Richard Katz, who did the album cover for uh, Pilgrimage to a Point. He's an artist and a drummer friend of mine. And I said, uh, yeah, yeah, that's me. What could I do for you? thinking, you know, who is this? <laughs> that was a joke and it was Carl and which was amazing to me. I, you know, my, I, I had a little record contract with my band Hush. We toured a bit. I had broken that up. That just had nowhere else to go. And I had the Robert Berry band together. I did some recording and a friend of mine sent it out and it wound up at Geffen records and John Claudner, the Geffen records guru, mm-hmm. um, played it for Carl Palmer. He loved it. Um, so Carl said, I, "I really like your material, like your voice. I'd like to try to start something with you." And um, are you interested? I thought, oh, who's she? Let me think about that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, of course I was. And uh, to make a longer story uh, much shorter, um, Carl and I met in New Jersey with Joe Lynn Turner and Alan Greenwood from Foreigner. I tried to start a band that didn't work out. We uh, he flew me to London where I now had my manager Brian Lane, who was. Carl's manager in Asia, and Yes's manager, and Donovan's manager. Mm -hmm. Great, great manager at the time. Um, He set up a few things. Nothing worked. I wound up working with Steve Howell in GTR for a second effort. Um, That, after a year, didn't work out quite the way I was hoping my life would go. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was heading home, and the manager called me and said, Keith Emerson wants to meet you. He likes your music. So evidently Carl had planted the seed with Keith, and Keith and I met for a couple-hour lunch. It was fantastic. He was not the mad scientist weirdo that couldn't complete a sentence that I thought he was going to be. You know, anybody of that genius, you think, well, they're not going to speak English. You know, it's going to be half sentences. And, yeah. And he was just so much fun and so articulate and so into the music and so dedicated, the whole thing. It was a great meeting. Um, that meeting lasted me for 28 years, 27 years of friendship and uh, musical collaborations and all kinds of things that had just been the greatest part of my life. But that's how Three started. We got together, the three of us, um, really very quickly, did a video for 8 Miles High and did another song and Geffen wanted us. They signed us. We quickly did an album. Next year, we went on tour. The song uh, Talking About, which was a song that, that I had written mm-hmm. um, for the album, became uh top ten.
1: Yep, I remember.
4: And then it end then it ended because uh Keith got so much criticism from uh the ELP fans that oddly enough didn't criticize Carl. But now I think back now at the time I thought why is Keith getting so much criticism? Well Carl had Asia. Carl had already stepped over the gap and into doing, you know, three and a half, four minute songs. They accepted it from him, but from Keith they didn't want it. And that was very hard on Keith. And the criticism really got to him uh, for all kinds of things we were doing. We had female background singers. He got, he got criticized because of that. Uh, we had a hit on the you know top 10. He got criticized for that. Um, we did a couple of cover songs, Eight Miles High, which one of my favorite things we played live was so much fun. It was really energetic and everything. He got criticized for that. Um, and he just was made to feel like he had done the wrong thing. So he wanted out, left the band behind. Even though he didn't tell me how it broke up, he asked me how it started. I'll, be, I'll make the full circle there for you.
1: No oh, man, that was the next question. You know why? Why after only one album and tour? You know, but that explains it absolutely. Um, yeah, so I'm putting
4: it, you out of business. Aren't I? <laughs> no,
1: no, you're you just uh, did two for one, basically. You know. Um,
5: All right.
1: So that's yeah. what uh, more or less fan criticism. I mean, <laughs> sadly. That ended up coming back even later in his life, huh?
4: Yeah, um, it it was pretty rough. Uh, Actually, before we started working together again, just to sort of glue that in, Keith left it behind, and we had done a lot of different projects. He did something on pilgrimage for me. He did a, a commercial with me here for a music store. He played on a Tempest, a Celtic rock band album for me. Some tribute albums. We just kept in touch and did things together. And 27 years later, a record company put out a live three album called Three Live in Boston. And I always wanted to do a second three album. I felt I had really figured out what we needed to do, what we should have done the first time, but we were a new band. You know, you can't do something in a year from the conception of it. And, and writing and recording it and expected to be the perfect uh, animal kind of the perfect beast. It takes a while to develop. So sure. by that second album, we would have been ready in 1989. You know, we would have been ready. So then 27 years later, um, this album live in Boston comes out and Keith calls me on the phone, super excited because Robert, Robert, he says, yeah, Keith, what's up? He goes, I just listened to the album. He goes, and his exact words. And I, I I've said this before but I haven't said it quite in that way because people probably think I'm paraphrasing but these are his exact words he said we were a really good band and it just kind of stopped me in my tracks because of course I knew we were a good band I always thought we were a good band but Keith switched gears right there because the energy the power I can't believe it I'm listening to the album it's really good and there was my little open door. I like to say, you know, when, when you're dating, you know, and a girl opens the door and you say, would you like to go out? You're supposed to get your foot in that door. So she can't slam it on your face. You know, (laughs) there was, there was my open door. I stuck my foot in there a little bit. And I said, Keith, what would you think about doing a follow up?" And he said very calmly. And he said, maybe. And Mm -hmm. there it was. I mean, I, I knew him well enough. But you no, know, he wouldn't even have said that if uh, wasn't a possibility. Called the record company; have been bugging me for years. I did a dividing line album for them, a solo album. Told us uh, Serafino said, "Serafino, what do you think about this? I uh, have a a little bit of an open." He goes, "Let's do it. I'm ready. When do you want to start?" I said, "Well, let's. I'll let Keith know, and we'll talk about it." We had these great couple of conversations about the parameters of a record deal, like what would the record company be able to expect from us. And also what we expected from ourselves, And that was the cool part. Because I mean, 27 years later, we had really lived a lot of life and looked at a lot of music and a lot of careers. And I mean, we knew what we would like to do. And plus it, the whole industry was completely
1: different, right? I mean, compared to 27 years ago, the way everything runs now is like really different.
4: It's super different. The only thing was that we were given complete artistic license to do exactly what we damn pleased. Yeah. And uh, that was the beauty of this, this record deal. And Keith and I both had things that we wanted to do. The only thing that Serafino at Frontiers had asked, he goes, I want it to be a real free album. Well, three had a couple of things on it that maybe shouldn't have been there. There are more the, the, the pop rock songs that uh, Geffen was grooming me for before I got together with Carl. Um, and we had a couple things that were just really brilliant pieces, like Desi Vavita, I think mm-hmm. Talking About was really good. For free. Yeah. They were things that we should be doing. And uh, so we knew, as far as when they said we just wanted it to be a real three record, we knew what that should have been um, back then. And, of course, we wanted to keep one foot in the past and bring it into the present and maybe even a little bit of the future that we'd be doing. You know, we, we talked about that kind of stuff what our capabilities were playing wise and um you know just everything musically that we sort of dreamed it could be and we started working on it
1: so was there uh was there ever any chance that carl was going to be back in the picture
4: no it's funny because all the years that I wanted to do a second three album, you know, quite a few times I had spoken to Carl because when he came into town with his ELP legacy, or even in, uh, some of the ELP, uh, reunion shows they would do opening for Jeff toll and different things. Mm-hmm. Carl would usually, um, be the one to call and say, you know, sort of set up the, uh, the visit and everything. Come on, I, you know, you, you'll have tickets to be backstage. I'll see you there. And I had talked to Carl a few times about possibly doing something and, he was open to it, but if you look at his career, he has been so busy for so many years. He's even busier now, and his ELP legacy um, at the time was really important to him, and he wasn't going to vary that path. And to be honest with you, Keith and I had spoken about um, asking Simon Phillips to be the drummer on it, because we wanted to go to the next level with this thing, and which we thought was uh, a little harder uh, rhythm-oriented and a little tougher, and uh, Keith knew Simon. We never talked to Simon about it. We never got to that point because we didn't want to add him till afterwards. Um, Simon had done a lot of work on an ELP tribute album for me, and I actually had a lot of it done before he got it to do the drums on. And it was just magic the way he put the drums to the music and started starting with the drums and putting the music to the drums. You mm-hmm. know, So I thought... Yeah wow, let, let's get these basic tracks done and let him work his magic. And boy, if he does that like he did in the Elp uh, tribute album, this is going to be an amazing piece of drum work. So that's why we hadn't spoken to him yet. But Carl wasn't uh, going to be involved in this, no. The final may be gone. The
0: album art
4: may be a JPEG. Baby. Radio lives on forever.
1: Let's continue on with a song from that live album that Robert was talking about, which provided the genesis of the 3.2 project. From the album Live in Boston 1988, which was actually released in 2015, this is the original three lineup with You Do or You Don't.
2: A song about a couple people who grew up together, spent a lot of time going through different causes. Consider themselves rebels until one other side of it to maybe change their way. a song called Either You Do Or You Don't.
1: Do or You Don't by 3 from the album Live in Boston 1988. During this program, I wanted to play a few of Robert Berry's solo songs to let you guys hear a little of what he was doing in the years between 3 and this new 3.2 album. So from Robert's excellent 1993 album Pilgrimage to a Point, this is No One Else to Blame. That Was No One Else to Blame by Robert Barry from his solo album called Pilgrimage to a Point, released in 1993. Now let's hear some more of my conversation with the man himself, Mr. Robert Barry. So uh, you you and Keith, you each had material coming into this project, and uh, how far did things get before Keith's tragic death?
4: Yeah, we, we both had, had things. Uh, one of the cool things was a cassette tape back from... Uh, 1987 of uh, a few little segments we hadn't used before even stuff that I have if you could see this studio in here I have right now on my console still 10 cassette tapes sitting there of all kinds of different things that happen different mixes of our album everything Mm -hmm. and rehearsals Just this I wanted to listen to them and I kind of keep them here to to inspire me and, and make me feel like this whole thing is is, is alive and real. And from, from way back 30 years ago, you know? Um, so we had the cassette tapes. We had some new ideas from me. Um, we had some new digital files from Keith of his playing with with super high quality sound.
1: Were you able to actually use any of those um, on the album? I, that was another question I had. Does Keith actually appear on the album at all?
4: You know, and the sad part for me, this is a little bit involved, but I had twenty percent um of Keith's parts on the album all done, ready to go, because I had designed the songs around these things he sent me. These great Emersonist chords and, and movements and, mm-hmm. and piano things and they were just fantastic stuff of his. About twenty percent of the album when you looked at the pro tools the digital files here, it sort of looked like a, a pumpkin with missing teeth. You see this intro of Keith's piano, then you'd see a, a link section as to put between the verse and choruses, and the, then they're the, like the chords for the solo section and mm-hmm. maybe an outro. And the rest of it was missing. That's where the song was going to go. That, which is kind of the way we wrote back 30 years ago. I had the melodies and the songs and keep the, the arrangements and the musical kind of parts. So it wasn't really that much different He's just done a little bit opposite, you know, and I had that. And then of course, Keith died. And, um, honestly I felt I couldn't finish the album and which was probably, you know, half done, 60% done, um, on my part and Keith's part. And I wrote one song called our bond, which is something I put on uh, social media just to kind of bring the fan base together in the grief we were all kind of sharing. I was amazed at how people were posting things that made them seem like they were as close to Keith as a good friend would be. They really got this guy. They really felt his personality and everything. So I wrote this song to kind of pull us together. It called us the Emerson army, you know, and I kept posting these little pieces about it, but I wasn't going to finish it. Six months later, I had an idea that, you know, There's a lot of work already done. I wonder if Aaron Emerson Key's son would play on it. He plays keyboards, Mm -hmm. so I called Aaron. He said, "Oh, I'd be really excited. That sounds like a lot of fun. Send me a song." And I should have sent him a simple one to start with, and gradually worked him into it. But no, I sent him. I was so excited about this one by one song. I sent him a really hard one, (laughs) and he he called me back. And you know, he goes, "Look, he goes, that's that's my dad's part." He goes, "I don't play like that," and of course. Who does you know keepers, right. one of one of a kind it's just incredible. And so I scared Aaron off, and I'm like oh God, I'm thinking that was really dumb. Why did I do that? But I have to say, it sort of got the spark going because for the first time, I had revisited all that music, you know trying to figure out what sent Aaron, and I went, "Wow, there's so much here and so much done, and there's so much a keep already apparent in this, that I decided to finish it. Mm-hmm. and one of the things that was uh, that, that kind of led me to to do it was that Keith had always wanted to call the album One, and he'd say, not O-N-E, not not spelled out One, but just the number One. And it, I never asked him why, because I didn't want to call the album One, but I didn't want to discuss that with him. You know, there was the Beatles set called One, I think, of the number one hits, and yeah. there was a lot of Ones around, and I thought, we were gonna call the band three point two, you know, three that's like two a, one <laughs> software. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Just looked a little, little confusing. All these numbers on the cover, and but as I'm starting to think about redoing, I'm thinking, okay, you know, Keith, want to call the album one? I said, there's only one guy now that knows what we talked about, you know, the w- one guy that was the singer in the band and and wrote half the songs, and one guy that cares enough maybe to do this, and and that's me, and. Yeah, I, I always try to preface this by saying that this isn't an ego thing. I I do play a lot of instruments, and mm-hmm. that's the way I've made my living in the studio, and I've done a lot of albums that way. And so I like to say I'm capable. I don't do it because of my ego. I don't look at me. I play all these instruments. In fact, I would rather downplay that, and people look at things and listen to it as the music and not one guy. Right. But I I said you know what I'm capable of this. I'm going to do this exactly the way we laid out and i spent a year doing it and it was very very difficult because even though i had eight years of classical piano a couple years of jazz i'm no keith emerson you know Uh and i i had to play a lot of parts and connect them and make it like compliment what he had given me in the meantime i call aaron and said aaron i'm gonna i'm gonna finish this and i just want to make sure that you know i'm doing it honestly and from the heart and I don't know what I'm going to do with it. He goes, well, he goes, I'm sorry to tell you, but you can't do anything with it because there's an estate board that has all the rights to what my dad's music does. Hmm. And I said, well, well, your dad and I are working on this. I figured I'd be able to finish it up, my part of it. He goes, no, they, they won't let you. You're going to have to talk to them. That's okay, well, if I talk to them, they said, no, you can't use this plane. I said, what are you talking about? And I, I, maybe three, four months, I forget how long it was now. I'm trying to put this behind me. But I bugged them and bugged them. And finally they said, Well, we've come to a decision. And if you'll honor our requests, you can use Keith's writing, but you can't use his plane. You'll have to replace all his plane on it. Wow. And I said, You're kidding me. Why? why? I mean, who, why would it matter? And they said, we want him to be remembered as a composer. And I said, let me get this right. Do you want the Jimi Hendrix of the keyboards, the only keyboard player that put on a show that made millions of people want to play keyboards because it wasn't just this static instrument anymore. It was alive? The Jimi Hendrix keyboard, do you want him remembered as a composer only? Yes. And if you want to use the, the writing, you can. Well, you know, I mean, what? I had no choice.
1: It's good music, so yeah. It had I to be heard, about, right?
4: It, well, I was feeling I had to finish it. Uh, I didn't know until it was done if it had to be heard or not. I, I'm, I'm still worried. It comes out Friday, and so far, what everybody has said has been so just lovely. I mean, I, I can't even tell you how it makes me feel. But the albums are all delivered to the people besides you, and newspaper writers and you know what I mean? The reviewers and all that, the people that really kind of get deep into music, they've jumped on it and really like it. But now that you're just your average music lover is going to get it. And I I can't help it. I have a little anxiety. (laughs) I don't have anxiety, but I do this week. (laughs) Well, I think anyway, it's fantastic.
1: So, yeah, I, I like it. I, I've listened to oh, it several times. I've had it for a number of weeks. Uh, it is good to be me sometimes. <laughs> like you said, I'm, yeah. I'm one of the lucky few that have heard it in its entirety already. Um, no, I think it's, right. a great, it's a great tribute, I I think. I really think it is.
4: Well, I, I appreciate that in it. I, uh, I especially like it when, when someone said, like you just did, that you've listened to it a few times because, you know, if there's nothing there... And even if you think it's okay, you listen to it once. But if, and what I'm finding is people are, that they know I did it. They didn't know how hard I had to work for that year to be able to replace Keith's parts where I did every nuance, every mm-hmm. sound, every articulation, every tempo. Every, I mean, if I put it side by side with what he played, and again, I'm not Keith Emerson, but I worked my butt off to make sure you can't tell the difference because that's what that, um, what, what do they call these The state board. Well, that's what they get for telling me to not use his, his plane. I say, it's like, a, it's like taking a picture of like a dog, you know, take a picture of your dog. Well, that's really the dog in the picture. You can see it. And I took a picture of what he played. Basically. It's exact sound wise. I have all the instruments here in the studio. Um, I have a Moog synthesizer. I have the chords equipment he used. I have a Yamaha C seven grand piano. I mean, I have it all. And Oberheim was he was part of his sound. I yeah. have that stuff, and I recreated it.
1: Yeah, it sounds. It, that's why and I, I had to play. ask. You know, I had to ask because it sounds yeah. like he could have been on. Like maybe you were able to use some of the actual tracks because you captured the sound. You know, uh, and and it sounds like what he would play. <laughs> you know.
4: Yes. Yeah. Well, and of course, remember, a lot of it is what yeah. he played. Yeah. It's just not him playing it now. It's me having to regurgitated you know and I, I i still it still upsets me um that i had to do that but then again you know if you were down here at the studio i'd pull up the pro tools and i'd say see that grayed out part there that's that's key here's what it sounded like and then put here's what i had to do and you go it sounds like a copy you know like it's like you copied a track yeah i said well that was the point in doing it but i, I couldn't take a chance of using him because if the state ever Took me to court, or I mean, who knows, right? I mean, right. I, I have to be careful with this. It's so important to me that I want to make sure that I can prove it and yeah. say, look, there it is, black and white, you know. And, um, yeah, I, it was, you got, yeah, I, it's hard for me to explain because I was so excited to be able to do this second album. I was so excited to be working with Keith in a way I never thought he'd accept again. Cause he'd like really had left three behind. So the, the day that he died, I lost not only my most famous friend, I lost the possibility of doing this album with him again. Mm-hmm. And when I ramped it back up, it had to be whatever I've learned in 30 years. In, uh, and I learned a lot from Keith, I got to say a lot. Um, it had to be the best I could do. And for, for about seven months, None of it was ever good enough. I worked and worked. Ah, oh, that's not good. Oh, God. And I had to keep asking myself, you know, what would Keith do here? What would he do? And I, I felt like he was sitting with me because, you know, I'll show you. I'm in, in my control room now. When we would speak on the phone, Keith would do, I have a piano in front of my Pro Tools and he had a piano in the living room. He'd do like...
5: <laughs>
4: and he'd play like that fast and I'd go... um <clears throat> And i try to play it. He'd go, no, 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 it's a... And then he'd slow it down. And it, and yeah. so he'd... And he'd do that. And then I'd put it down on my Pro Tools. And I'd say, okay, well, I'm going to write a little verse after that that goes, after all that... You know, the verse, the chord will stop <laughs> and we'll do some singing. And we threw that back and forth. And what it took me to... Perfect that was, I mean, a, a sort of a joyous occasion and a, almost painful at times, too, because that yeah, I just had this dream of doing it with them.
1: You know? Yeah. It had to be emotionally difficult to uh, sit there and recreate the parts of your now gone friend and collaborator and writing partner. I mean,
4: yeah. And really, especially when I felt there was no reason for me to have to do that.
1: Really, none anywhere Prague watch will be right back
2: okay round two name something that's not boring
3: a laundry <sighs> oh a book club computer solitaire huh Ah,
2: <sighs> oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right.
0: ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Number no were prohibited by law. 18+ terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Let's do one more of Robert's songs before we finish the interview and hear a few from the brand new 3.2 album called The Rules Have Changed. This is a song called Taking It Back, which is the title track of Robert's 1995 solo album. That was the title track from Robert Berry's solo album called Taking It Back, which was released in 1995. Now, before we get into the last segment of my interview with Robert, let's hear one from the new 3.2 album. This is Powerful Man.
2: the path of my youth where it guides me flesh and blood unfolds Secrets of my life I hold When I needed answers I could find the deep inside Cause I'm the soul Still got those innocent kids' eyes I won't take it on the chin I'm a th- of a man. Life has its twist and turns Along the trail The, road, the bumps and cries are a long quest But how the story goes, nobody really knows But at every corner you've been right there by my side Cause I'm the sun, with those innocent kids I won't take it on the chin, I'm going girl with Just the of a powerful man.
1: that was Powerful Man from the new 3.2 album called The Rules Have Changed. We're going to hear a couple more from that album, but first, let's hear the last segment of my interview with Robert Barry. So you, sir, have really anticipated just about every question I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you about Aaron's involvement and, you know, how you had to finish it and, you know, um, yeah, you've really covered a lot yeah. there. So, I, I'm
4: sorry, I get so excited about. No, this. no, I, I can't even. It's such a good time in my life. I, honestly, some fan from Germany yesterday posted on Facebook this thing that he said. I, I got my Japanese copy. The Japanese copy came out a week early, and he said, "I can feel Keith in the music," and he went on and on about all the little yeah. partsy. And I'm going, "Wow, this guy really." He, he's connecting with exactly what I want him to connect with. but is This this is like one of the fans, like what the album's coming out this Friday uh, worldwide, I guess, at least in the U S and um, that's what I'm worried about. Are people going to have that connection to the, as just music instead of just, you know, oh, this guy did this, this album, you know, they're going to feel keep in it and feel the reason it was done and, and get through the lyrics and say, oh yeah, I could see how these emotions were riding high at the time, because some of those lyrics I wrote, I even at the time I didn't realize exactly why they were coming out, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: No, I think uh, yeah. I agree with that fan, you know, I, I it sounded, I, that's why I had to ask, you know, was he actually on it? Because so many things in there just sounded like Emerson. It was just, you know, I mean, I know he wrote them, but to me, it sounded like he was playing them. I mean, I, I think you have really, you know, infused his spirit into the music.
4: Well, that's fantastic. You know, that, that was what I wanted to do. It, it's, it sort of wasn't a deliberate plan. It's just that's what we decided to do. And I had to sort of stay in that frame of mind and that feeling of how we would do it. And we just, I can't explain it why it came out the way it did. It just did.
1: I think it came out the way it should have basically. You know, given everything that was yeah. going on, you know?
4: Yeah, I think so. I, I I really do think that it's just it's this is what it was gonna be and what it could be and um I don't know, you you tell I get a little confused about how to explain it when I actually get down to how it turned out the way it turned out because I can sit back and listen to it now and almost feel like I didn't play anything on it. Yeah, you know, I just listen to it. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, that's. I like the album, I like the songs. So I said, I can. I don't know. I can take a perspective on it. At least, like, you know, the course of course, the vocals and the words and stuff. I, I'm, I get that I did that, but the rest of it, I listened to. I go, man, that, the week I worked on that song. You know, what was I? What was I thinking? Where was I? Because it came out the way I wanted it to, but I don't feel like I was really completely present doing it. I'm not a new age kind of guy. Oh, the spirits guided me. But (laughs) I will say that um, Keith, I felt like his hands, because there's some things on there that I would never play and that I could never think about playing, but I played. Like, especially the solos, you know. Keith was going to do the solos after everything else was written and kind of done. And we never got to that point. And some of the solos came out of me. The keyboard solos I would never play like. Yeah. And it just happened. It just needs to be like this. And there it was. And,
1: um, Very cool. Yeah.
4: I can ramble on, you know, you gotta, you gotta watch me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, so what do you, uh, obviously you have to wait and see what responses, but you know, do you have any plans for the future? You know, do you think about possibly taking it on the road or anything like that? Or what, you know, you've got a, a solo album coming down the road. What, what's up next for you?
4: You know, it, it was funny when when the album was done. I wasn't sure I was going to release it, and I checked with a few people, and they thought they. they, they a couple of them said, "How did you do this? That this is just like you're saying, you know." Just they. One of them said, "I'm I'm just sitting back here. I can take a leap of faith and, and just think about this. That Keith is not on this album, really." Yeah, and they're the ones that kind of made me send it back to the record company and say, "Okay, I think we should release it." And the record company says, "Oh, you guys we'll release it." last thing I wanted to do was go on tour because I didn't think that was a possibility. I was still, I don't know what I was thinking. I just, it was difficult to finish. And and I was just glad that I finished it and I was proud of it. I'm um, not knowing what people would think. Then I, the response starts coming in and people are telling me, I got a call from an agency that says, we think you could do a world tour next year with this. This is really spectacular. What people have been telling us is this is something that people not only want, but they've been kind of waiting to hear again. It's a sound um, that is, is, is happening. And there's a resurgence of progressive rock and the mm-hmm. fan base wants to go out and see it. And so I said, well, you know, I think my next goal will be a world tour. And um, that seems to be what is being set up although nothing's been booked yet. So we'll see what happens. Sure. That's my plan though. No, And my complete focus is, is 3.2. And I'm not really thinking about, um, the next solo album or, or like Alliance, which you might know about my band Alliance. Um, I'm just really focused on this and we'll see what happens.
1: All right. Fantastic. Well, I think, uh, it should be interesting, you know. I, I think you're going to get the response that you want, and I think uh, you're going to have a hard time putting together a band to play the material.
4: <laughs> you know, I, I, you're so that's funny, and you're laughing too because I, I kind of laugh sometimes. And I think, okay, so I can't get a like a well-known keyboard player that has his own style because I, the same way that I did this, uh-huh. I want to put this out to people. This, this person has to play my keyboard style and keyboard style. Now my keyboard style is pretty easy. (laughs) 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 Some guy really has a job cut out for him. He does. Um, (laughs) and, And I'm talking to a few people, but really they can't just have their own style. They have to be able to really jump in on this because my plan for a tour is to do, you know, four or five decades of progressive rock with everything I've ever done, starting with, with three and, going through my tribute albums from yes and you know genesis death Hotel,
5: mm-hmm.
4: uh, my time touring with ambrosia my pilgrimage to a point album my yeah. gtr time my 3.2 you know i plan and one song from the d- dividing line which i think you mentioned you actually yeah. have heard yeah yeah uh, so i plan on doing that that's not five decades maybe but it's a lot <laughs> <laughs> it, it is a lot and, yeah. Uh, yeah, you you have to laugh at the poor stop that's going to be the keyboard player for that, huh?
1: Jeez. Yeah, it's that's, that's going to be uh, big <laughs> shoes, big shoes to fill. That's for sure, my man.
4: Yeah, <laughs> it'll be it'll be a great show though. I'm really looking forward to. It. I've never been able to do this. This is a one-time chance, not only to do Keith Emerson's last effort on an album, but a one-time chance to take that album out on the road and and play my history and in music too, which. Uh, I'm kind of excited about it, really. It's energized me.
1: Yeah, you should be. Sounds like it's going to be really good. And uh, yeah, Yeah. I wish you all the best with it. Uh, We more or less covered everything I had here. So as we just heard, we can all look for Robert to take the new material on the road, provided he can find a keyboardist to play it live. With the great material on this new 3.2 album, the stuff from the original 3 album, and some of the stuff from his solo records, it should be quite a show. Anyway, as I promised before the interview segment, I'm going to finish things off with two more tracks from the new 3.2 album, The Rules Have Changed. First, we will hear the title track, and then I'll roll straight into a song called Your Mark on the World.
2: I believed in you the line is drawn, my friend. I thought there would be a clue. I believe in you to wrap my head around to think my peace. Cause I thought you were the one that you always seem to be. Nothing I feel now I know what's done is done We're now gone What you became to me The highest crest of the tracks I lay Tristan's grave was forever told (laughs) I'm <laughs>
1: Again, that was The Rules Have Changed and Your Mark on the World, both from the new 3.2 album called The Rules Have Changed. So that brings us to the end of the road for another week, and I hope you enjoyed the program. I'd like to thank Robert for taking the time to chat with me, and Sharon for helping to set up the interview. And of course, you the listener, because without you, there would be no show. If you are interested in the new 3.2 album, or even the original three, or Robert's solo albums... I will have links you can follow when I post this show to my website, progwatch.com. That's P-R-O-G-W-A-T-C-H, all one word, dot com. While there, you might also consider supporting the show or subscribing to the podcast if you have not already. You might also want to follow me on Twitter or Facebook to keep up with what's going on with the show and see my Today's Classic posts, which are often fun and sometimes generate some engagement. You can also find out how to email me if you just want to say hi or offer comments or suggestions. Remember, you can do all of this and even search the site for any artists I have ever featured and listen to any program I have ever done from the top of the homepage at progwatch.com. So until next time, please be good to each other and prog on, my brothers and sisters.
3: record's available Always in the foyer. Right so almost got a live as well, you know. All right, it's a lot. Let's get this, this. closed off there. He chose his manager within three weeks. What do you think plays for this puppy? They'll never make the money back, you know. I told him. I said to him, Bernie, I said, "They'll never make that money back."